I am Pastor David, and uh, this morning we will conclude our three-part sermon series on stewardship that we have called All. And uh, as you know, as part of this uh, three-part sermon series on stewardship, we have been promoting this Financial Peace University. And uh, just on a personal note, my wife, Jim, and I actually listened to the, uh, that this past summer. And as we were listening and discussing between the two of us, we wish that somebody told us about this or these principles when we were in our 20s. And so, if you are young, even in your 20s, you know, you might want to take advantage of that. In fact, so much so that we actually bought this financial university packet to our newly married daughter, Adina, and her husband, Gareth. They're in their 20s, and we would love for them to be able to learn you know, how to manage their finances while they are st- still young and also right at the start uh, of their marriage. And uh, the class is actually starting today. It's going on right now in the adult education wing. It started at 9 o'clock. So if you would like to stand up and walk over to the classroom, please know that I won't be offended. I wouldn't feel as if my, you, know, you don't like my sermon or anything like that. And please take advantage of that. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, then you know this, uh, this class is offered on Sunday mornings as well as uh, Wednesday evenings uh, at 6.30 p.m., uh, same place in the adult wing, so you can also take advantage of that. So either Sunday morning or Wednesday evening, uh, if one of those would work for you, then please take advantage of that and learn the principles of financial peace so that we are debt-free. And their tagline is, you know, doing kingdom work debt-free. And so that you could become, you know, generous givers uh, to go God's work in the long run. Next week, by the way, we, Pastor Jeremy will begin a brand new sermon series from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. So, this morning you received an insert, so if you would please grab that for a second. I want to walk you through that because there's something important for us to communicate to you. And again, turn to the black and white page, not the colored one but the black and white page. And top of that, that you see what is called a prayer challenge. As you know, the book of Nehemiah begins with prayer. Nehemiah praying, having heard that the walls in Jerusalem had not been rebuilt. And he was so deeply moved that he began to fast and pray pray for for days uh, and before he met with the king and asked for permission to go. And so prayer will be an emphasis during those nine weeks from the book of Nehemiah. So in anticipation of this, our pastors and elders have been praying for 30 people over a period of 30 days in the month of September. So we made a commitment to either make a phone call, text, or write an email to the people in our circle of influence or the circle of friends to get very specific prayer requests and pray for one person or a family per day for the next 30 days. So here it is on the, on the 27th. And it, it, it has stretched my prayer life. It has revitalized my prayer life. For example, you know, there are times I go to bed, I don't have a person or a family to pray for the next day. And I wake up in the morning and there was the email. And God has provided for all of these 27 days 
at least one person or a family to pray for. And similarly, others have also, the pastors and elders, we are 13 of us, and if everybody prayed, we did not organize this, we did not put a structure around it, and as a result, there may, be some, there may have been some duplications. Some of you may have been prayed more than one time, perhaps even half a dozen times. We don't know. But if there was no overlap, we will have prayed for about 390 people by the time the month of September gets over. And so we invite you to choose 30 people over the 30 days of October now, or 31 days if you would like. Choose people, individuals or families from your circle of friends or circle of influence. It doesn't matter whether they are church people or they are friends or family or neighbors or the people who are colleagues in your workplace, or in the neighborhood, schools, it doesn't matter. What is important is that you choose 30 people and pray over the next 30 days in the month of October. So you have three days to come up with the list together. Text them, email them, uh, give them a phone call, however that you want to get those prayer requests. And then after praying, here's the other thing, after praying on that very day, send them a message back. Text, email, phone call that this morning or this day, We prayed for you. What we are trying to do here is actually we are trying to become a church that prays. And we are also trying to create a movement of prayer that becomes unstoppable here at Midland Free. And it spreads into the community because everywhere we turn, everywhere we research, everywhere we study, a movement of prayer precedes a movement of disciple-making. And so that's what we would like to start, and we will invite you to join in that prayer moment. Is that clear? All I'd love to see this, this getting multiplied uh, in manifold here within the congregation. Now it's time for the sermon this morning. The sermon is titled, All or Nothing. So, I need a volunteer, preferably a woman. Who is married? Come on in, Lynn Most. Well, you look beautiful today. And, uh, you know, we are talking about this idea of all. So it looks like you have a wonderful chain that you're wearing. So could I have it? <laughs> All right. You gonna wear that? <laughs> For now, I'm going to put it over here on the pulpit, and we'll see what. Wow, you have lots of things here. How about that earring too? Those are beautiful. Before the sermon is over, I, I will be mighty rich here. Thank you, thank you. Looks like you are freely giving these away. How about that bracelet? Boy, you, you, you're not hesitating here today. Huh? Wow, wow, wow. Oh, I see a handbag. 
what do you have in there, by the way? My wife never shows it to me. So I have... No, I don't want that. <laughs> How about some money? Do you have some money in there? Yes. Oh, you didn't put that in the offering plate, did you? <laughs> uh, could I have the, some of the money that you have? Maybe all of it, because we are talking about all here, right? So let's, let's go with it. Let's go with it. It's all. Wow. Oh, my Boy, I have earned my wages today, you know. I, I could go home. Any credit cards, by the way? <laughs> there you go. Do you have just one or it's a, it's a one. <laughs> There you go. She has. Jam week shopping t- this afternoon. <laughs> oh. I see a ring in your finger. It's shining. Must be worth a lot of money. Is that your wedding ring? You're talking about all here. Can I have it? You're not going to give me your wedding ring. What do you think? Should I leave her alone? You're not going to give it. Is your husband in, in the audience? Well, it should be easy, right? He would know. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, it's about all. It's about all. You have been a good sport, so I'm going to return all of these to you. Thank you. By the way, here's a question that I want to put before us today. Like Lynn Most, do you have any earthly possession that you value so much that you would have a hard time giving it up. Take a moment to think about it. As you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Do you have any earthly possessions that you value so much that you would have a hard time giving it up? If you are using the blue Bibles of the church, that you will find that on page 1041, 1041. Beginning in verse 44. Three verses, 44, 45, and 46. In these verses, Jesus tells two parables. The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price to illustrate the supreme value of his kingdom and how it demands all, everything. 
Let's begin in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The two men in these two parables sold all that they had, perhaps even their wedding rings, to take possession of something that was of much greater value. And God's people are to do likewise. Perhaps even more to take hold of God's kingdom. That's the point of these two parables. Therefore the message of the parable is this. You know, the kingdom of God is of such great value that radical or even costly yet joyful reorientation of all aspects of life is the only appropriate response for God's people. Now the aspect of joy is clearly stated in the second half of verse 44. It says, then in his great joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the aspect of joy is there. But you might wonder why I have put the words radical and costly in this particular statement. Let's look at the two parables again. This time closely at the words sell and sold that I have highlighted in the brown color. You see, in the English language, they seem like the same word. One is in the present tense, while other in the past tense. But in the original Greek language, in which the New Testament was written, these two words are actually different. In the first parable, the Greek word is poleo, which refers to selling of possessions. However, in the second parable, the Greek word is piprasko. Very intentionally, it's not the same word. It's not the present tense and the past tense. It is a different word, which includes even selling oneself as a slave. That's the difference. By telling the second parable, Jesus was upping the ante a little bit here. Not only selling all of one's possessions, but even selling oneself as a slave is worth it in order to take hold of his kingdom. That's why I have put the words radical and costly in the statement that the kingdom of God is such a supreme, great, immeasurable value that radical or even costly yet joyful reorientation of all aspects of life is the only appropriate response for God's people. You see, many Christians 
when they read scripture passages such as these, that make radical or costly claims on their lives, look for ways to soften the message to fit their lifestyles. I have done this. Perhaps you may have done it. For example, some may say these two parables are about the value of Jesus' kingdom and not about the two people who sold everything. In other words, they shift the focus away from the response that is called for, that freeing them from any guilt they may feel. Others may invoke this idea of hyperbole. That is the use of the word all in the statements, sold all that he had or sells all that he has, is simply an exaggeration to draw attention to the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. They may say no one can sell everything and still live. That is unrealistic. And such approach also feels them, frees them from any guilt that they may feel. Still others may, might say that these claims are just too difficult and simply impractical. In other words, they don't know how to apply these radical claims of Jesus in their lives. Therefore, they simply give up or ignore these claims. But none of these approaches are acceptable to born-again Christians. In other words, so the question comes up, what shall we do? How shall we respond? The kingdom of God demands all, everything. This morning I want to say to you and also to me that instead of trying to soften Jesus' radical claims on our lives or trying to find ways to explain them away, look at those who have lived such radical lives and learn from them. I won't have very specific answers for you. Do this, do this. or No, I, I, I couldn't. That's between you and God. But I want to look at four examples Three positive and one negative of people who had lived such radical lives and also show you a continuum of some kind that shows us various degrees of radical, costly, and joyful living. So the first example comes from Mark chapter 12, verse Verses 41 and 43. If you want to look at the Bible, it's on page 1080. Mark chapter 12. Jesus was at the temple in Jerusalem. And there he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into their offering, into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put two small copper coins which is worth only a fraction of a penny. In fact, one-sixty-fourth of a unit called denarius, which was a day's wage for a laborer at the time. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I said to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put, here is the word, everything she had, all she had to live on. 
So here's an example of a woman who radically reoriented her life in response to God's kingdom. She may have gone hungry after giving all that she had that day. So I have placed, as you're continuing, that should be coming up. I have placed her somewhere. There's one, one side is no, and the other side is yes, for the co- radical, costly, joyful living. I have put somewhat, somewhat closer to yes, because she put everything or all that she had. The second example is a negative one. It is about a rich, young ruler described in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And if you are using the blue Bible again, it's 1076 is where you would find it. This is about a young man who ran up to Jesus, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. You do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not refer, do not refer on, uh, honor your father and mother. And he said to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. In other words, he had reoriented his life in response to the Ten Commandments. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell, here's the word, all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Again, notice the word all in Jesus' statement. Sell all that you have, not just partial, but all. And the young man said no to radically reoriented his possessions in response to God's kingdom. He had reoriented other aspects of his life, such as following the Ten Commandments, but not his treasure. And that's why there's a continuum that should appear. I have put him on the extreme left, saying no to radical, costly, joyful living. Now, in the same chapter... The Apostle Peter is observing all of this and Jesus is doing a little bit of teaching and, and, and uh, teaching there. And so the Apostle Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. Again, notice the word everything. Not just partial, but everything. And Jesus responded with this promise. Truly I said to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So here we have two examples, the widow and the apostle Peter, who radically reoriented their lives in response to the supreme value of God's kingdom. For apostle Peter, of course, reorientation eventually cost him his very life. He was crucified upside down and was killed. And then we see a rich young man who said no to reorienting his treasure for the sake of his kingdom. 
So I have put, again, there should be a continuum. For now, I have put Apostle Peter. He gave up everything. I put it under the widow. But eventually, at that point, that's where he was. Eventually, it cost him his life. And therefore, he moved all the way to his right. The final example actually comes from, it's a non-biblical one. It is about missionaries from Germany. They are called the Moravian missionaries. And they came with the burden to reach the slaves in Caribbean islands, also known as West Indies. Now, these, these slaves worked on plantations, and the owners of the plantations allowed only slaves to talk to one another. No outsiders could talk to them. And therefore, these missionaries who came from Germany, Hernhut, Germany, called the Moravian missionaries, sold themselves into slavery and became slaves themselves who worked in the plantations in order to talk to the slaves who needed the gospel. And many slaves were reached by their radical and costly act. That seems crazy, doesn't it? So did when the man, the man who sold all that he had, including selling himself as a slave, in order to take hold of the pearl of great price. So did the widow when she put all that she had in the offering box. So did the Apostle Peter when he left everything to follow Jesus, even at the cost of his own life. Looks crazy. But the kingdom of God is of such great value that radical, even costly, Yet joyful reorientation of all aspects of life is the only appropriate response for God's people. Where are you on that continuum? Where am I on that continuum? Where would you put Lynn Most based on that small skit that we had on that continuum? Between no and yes. That's why I think, you know, we had to place it somewhere, and the goal is not to feel guilty about it. And the goal is also not to, you know, try to soften the message, the radical message of the scripture so that, so that it would fit our lifestyle. 
the goal is not to explain it away or ignore it or give it up so that we don't have to feel guilty about it. But rather, place ourselves somewhere. Again, it might vary from area to area in, in our time, talent, and treasure. We might be 100% yes in terms of time. We might be 100% yes, in, yes in, in terms of uh, talents. We might be 100% yes in terms of It doesn't matter what it is, but placing ourselves someplace and then begin to take steps such that we are able to move to the right in that continuum and to reorient our lives, all aspects of life, because the kingdom of God is of supreme, great, immeasurable value. That's the message. I was convicted by it. And I hope you do too. As you examine your own lives. In response to God's kingdom. You know the other thing that I thought about was this. You know, I think because we have such cloud of witnesses. The widow. The apostle Peter. The, the Moravian missionaries. And there are many others who had gone ahead of us. When we have such great witnesses. I think we would be insulting them. If we try to soften the message, if we try to explain it away, or if we try to ignore it, right? Because they listened to the message and said, yes. Stewardship demands everything. All of me. All that I have, all for the glory of God. That's what this three-part sermon series has been all about. So let me summarize this sermon this way. The four questions that I have been using recently so that you get the message. When somebody asks you, what is the subject of the sermon... I hope you are able to say the supreme or the great value of God's kingdom. That's what we talked about this morning. Not the pearl of great price, not the hidden treasure, not from you know, Matthew chapter 13. We talked about this morning the supreme, the great, the immeasurable value of God's kingdom. And what is the response called for in this sermon? Radical, joyful reorientation of all aspects of life instead of trying to soften Jesus' message to suit our lifestyle. That's the response that was called for. And the listeners, you may ask, how do you do that? How can we do this? And that's why I provided four examples. So we, we do this by learning from people who have gone ahead of us, who have lived such great lives. And then find ways to apply those to our own situations. That's why I don't have a cookie cutter answer for you. And I provided four examples. The widow, the young rich ruler, the apostle Peter, and the Moravian missionaries. 
then you may ask, you know, how long would it take to do this? It is a lifelong process of growing in our faith and spiritual journey. Stewardship demands everything. All of me and all that I have, all for the glory of God. The kingdom of God is such great value that radical, costly, and joyful reorientation of all aspects of life is the only appropriate response for God's people. Let's pray. Oh Lord, those are challenging words, convicting words. They hit right at the heart as we live lives in your kingdom for the sake of your kingdom. Father, I, I pray that you will help me each and every day. Help my brothers and sisters each and every day. We are in this together. Father, we can do this only by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Otherwise, we will be totally lost. Help us all, Lord, as we become a church, a people belonging to God. Willing to reorient our lives, all of it, for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.